Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Our second scripture this morning is John 15, 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, So I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that you may, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Thanks, Julie. And hey, everybody uh, watching online, watching on YouTube, watching on Facebook, watching on Zoom, watching in the room. Come on, people. Uh, Love one another, Jesus says, as I have loved you. Ah, good luck, right? So simple to say, so difficult to do. Well, Danny Cook uh, served up a feast for us last week, talking about a God who loves us with agape love. No yeah buts, no conditions, no expectations. And if you missed that, I encourage you to dial that one up on the podcast if you missed it. In many ways, I want to just continue that conversation. So great job, Danny. We're going to reflect on two questions today together through all play questions and through hopefully good dialogue. And the first question is this, how is it that God loves us? And the second question is, how can we learn to love each other that way? Rather than just sort of like dismissing that as an impossibility, uh, how do we learn to love each other that way? So how does God love us? Uh, did, anyone, did anyone watch the royal wedding a couple years ago between <laughs> Prince Harry and Meghan? I watched it. I got up early and I was watching it on my little couch, on my laptop. And then it came time for the preacher to preach. And typically, I don't know, at a royal wedding, I'm not expecting much from the preacher. But this guy, Bishop Michael Curry, he's the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church. He got up and from minute one, he was engaging and funny. And he talked all about the radical, inclusive, 
love of God. And so I, I thought, I got to get to know everything I can about this guy. Well, I started reading his book, which is called The Way of Love. And in it, Bishop Curry differentiates God's love from the kind of love that is sentimental and leaves us feeling sort of complacent and sleepy. You know what I mean by that? Like, kind of that cute, gooey love, which is awesome and helpful. But Bishop Curry says that's not the kind of love that God's love is in the scriptures. He says this, and I quote, love is fierce. This love is a verb. It's an action with force and follow through. When you pull love out of the abstract, really put it to work, it starts to reveal its extraordinary power. I think that's the kind of love that Pam was talking about. Not just seeing, though seeing is really important, but moving from seeing to then immersing, having proximity, showing up, having follow through, having force. This kind of love moves the needle for the kingdom of God. Uh, God's agape love, which, as Danny said, contains no yeah buts, no expectations, no exceptions, no conditions or limits. God's love for you and everyone and everything is the kind of love that goes to work. It reveals itself with extraordinary power. The word for God that's used all over the Hebrew scriptures is the word that's translated as helper or help, the word azer, but it means the kind of life-saving help without which you would die. That's the kind of forceful, extraordinary uh, love that God has. So uh, to bring that out of the abstract and into the story, uh, a lot of theologians believe that the book of Genesis, the first book in Torah, the first book of the scriptures, is kind of like the prelude to the rest of the story, that the real story of God starts in Exodus. So consider Genesis to be like the Hobbit, <laughs> and then Exodus and beyond is the Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers and the Return of the King. Nerdy <laughs> reference number one. And one of my friends, uh, Rabbi Alan Ullman, whoop, whoop, uh, he said that Genesis is basically the story of brothers that are trying to kill each other. <laughs> right? Cain and Abel, yep, check, check, check. Uh, and then Jacob and Esau, the twins, check, 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 check. And then the brother, the sons of uh, Jacob are trying to kill uh, Joseph, check, check, check. Until finally at the very end, and this story spans about 14 chapters, one of the longest running stories in all the scriptures, where Joseph is the one brother who does something different, who shows up with a love that is extraordinary and forceful. Even though his brothers left him for dead in the bottom of a cistern and pretended that he was dead to their father, Joseph ended up uh, far away from home, living in Egypt. And when it came time for him to either gain revenge on his brothers, which he could have done because he had tremendous power toward the end of his life, instead he chose to forgive them. And this required tremendous love. It required proximity. It required him hearing their stories and seeing their faces and realizing, because revenge is easy when there's distance, amen? When there's distance, 
I will get revenge on you. And I won't even feel that bad about it, right? When there's proximity, when I can see your face and you can see mine, we can see each other's tears and hear each other's stories. Revenge gets a lot more difficult. So what happens at the end of the story of Genesis is that Joseph forgives his brothers, invites them and his father to live with them in Egypt, and they live together in Egypt for a long time. But then Exodus starts. And so again, this is, you know, now we're back in the Shire and and Bilbo's old. Frodo is the, the main player in the story now. And this is how it starts in the beginning of Exodus chapter 1. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now there's a lot packed in those words. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are now more numerous and more powerful than we Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, for they will increase, and in the event of war, they will join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set overseers or taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites, and they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. Woo! A new king arose in Egypt who did not know Joseph. All play question number one. And again, all plays are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the voice of the solo. So people in the room, you can shout out your answers like the olden days. People online watching on the Zoom can use the chat. Here's the all play question. Who is going to work in this portion? Remember, love goes to work, shows up with force. But in this portion, Exodus 1, 6 through 14 that I just read, who is going to work in this portion and why are they working? Fear. Thank you. I think that was Cassandra back there. Woo! Fear. 100%. Who is going to work in this portion and why are they working? Looking at the chat. Who is going to work and why are they working? They are the people who are oppressed are going to work because they have no choice. Yes, amen. Thank you. What else? Who's going to work and why are they working? The, the greedy inhibition of the Pharaoh. Is that what you said, Allie? <laughs> it's hard to understand people who are wearing their masks. Uh, the greed and inhibition of the Pharaoh. Sorry, what? Ambition. Just take off your mask for a second. I promise it's okay. <laughs> but everyone else understood and not me. So clearly I'm the problem. 
<laughs> the greed and ambition of the Pharaoh. Yes, Allie. Uh, maybe, yeah, inhibition. Uh, Bob Timperley from the chat, to survive. Yeah, there's a lot of things in people going to work in this story. People of Israel are going to work because they have to. Uh, the Pharaoh is going to work because he can. And I notice something in this passage, and I had some more time to look at it than you did, but I noticed that the, that the Pharaoh starts to build distance between him and the people. Notice he appointed overseers to do the dirty work. And then at the end of the passage, it's not just the Pharaoh who's making the, the Israelites' lives miserable, it's the Egyptians as a system. So the Pharaoh gets to do what he wants to do because proximity is starting to get further and further away. And now we have just not just an individual who didn't know Joseph, we have a system that didn't know Joseph, and that system is Egypt. And so now you can, you're in a system, and if you're in a system, it's just the way the system works. And so you can be a good Egyptian person who loves people, but is now participating in a system that does not know Joseph. Am I tracking? Am I making sense? Okay. So, question, how does God respond? Well, we, we have to get all the way to the end of chapter 2 of Exodus. But let me read this. Starting in verse 23, Exodus chapter 2, after a long time, the king of Egypt died. And the Israelites groaned under their slavery, and they cried out. And out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God did not forget. God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice. Whew. I'll play question number two. And this is just your opinion. Just throw out your answers. There could be a million answers to this one. But why does God respond this way? God heard their groans. God saw their suffering. God took notice of them. Why does God respond this way? Why do you think? Use the chat. If you're participating online, if you're in the room, shout it out and go slow because clearly my ears are not what they used to be maybe. Uh, from Bob, uh, why does God respond this way? Because of agape love. Remember, no yeah buts, no and, no, no conditions, limits, or expectations. Yes, Bob, completely. Yes, they were finally asking for help. They groaned out. They cried out to their God. Or maybe just to the sky. <laughs> Who knows what they, you know, when you're that desperate, you, you're not even crying out to God. Maybe you're crying out to God. You're just groaning. You're just crying out because you're so desperate. Uh, Rebecca, because that's the nature of God. Yes, I don't think that God could not respond this way. Whoop. Yes, Rebecca. Thank you so much. That's God's nature, as Danny Cook uh, said last week from Hannah. God created them, and they are a part of God. Yeah, Ooh. so when God's people suffer, can we say that God also suffers? 
when God sees people suffering in slavery, when God sees people being oppressed and cast down, can we say that God also suffers? I think we can, because I think what Hannah says is true. Joan, because it was time. Ooh, Kairos moment. Thank you, Joan. Shawning, always for the win. Uh, Bob, love suffers with those that love loves. Bob, can we get that on a t-shirt? Love suffers with those that love loves. Come on, the Genesis t-shirt club. <laughs> um, yes, yes, and yes to all of that. Now remember, if we contrast it to Pharaoh, who had revenge and could oppress people because there was distance, it's easier to be a part of an oppressive system when there's distance, not proximity. What I see in this Exodus 2, 23 through 25, is that God was close enough to hear their suffering, to hear their cries. God remembered God's covenant, and God sees them as they really are. God sees them through their lens, not just the lens of the God had proximity. And I think for love to be a force, for love to go to work, for love to really be forceful in the way that Bishop Curry talks about, we have to have proximity. Amen? We just, we have to be close. Whatever that looks like. But I think I will love like Pharaoh loves <laughs> when... I give in to scarcity and fear. Remember what we read in, in Exodus 1? They will outnumber us. And if we go to war against someone else, they'll turn against us and we'll be defeated. When we create distance, when we participate in a system that allows us to abdicate responsibility, we love like Pharaoh loves, even if we think we're loving. And that's a confrontation to me and to all of us. I love the story that Allie shared in her kids' sermon, the story about in Matthew 25, those of you who gave just a cup of cold water. That's a, that's a small, tiny little thing. We're not even talking about huge things here, gang. But when you do a small act of love, it is as if you did it to me, Jesus says. But the whole, what Jesus is saying there, it's not about like, oh, okay, I better go you know, fill up a bunch of water and give it to people. It's about being close enough to give them water and to receive water from them at times. The question, in the room, watching on YouTube or Facebook, participating in Zoom, this isn't an all play, but just think about it. When are you tempted to give in to scarcity and when are you tempted to love like Pharaoh loves? When are you tempted to say, yep, let's, let's do it the way the system does it? I think I'm tempted when I'm tired, when I'm overly focused on me, myself, and I, and there's a time and space for that to be reflective, but there's also a time and space where over-introspection can lead to a kind of paralysis, and I cannot see anything other than my own stuff. So, when are you tempted to give in to scarcity? When I think it might be the only answer, yes. There's only eight pieces in a pizza. <laughs> if there's 15 people, I'm not going to get any. Right? 
when are you expansive? When, when do you feel expansive enough to where you might try proximity? Let's let that be an all play. When do you feel like, I'll give that a try. I'll give proximity a try. Say it, Pam. When I feel safe, yes. Thank you, Pam. When do you feel like, I'll give it a try. I'll give it a try. Um, back to Hannah, uh, feels uh, like tempted to give in to scarcity when I get too much social media. Whoop, whoop. Me too. And Bob, I cut my pizza into six pieces because I don't think I could eat 12. <laughs> That's awesome. <sighs> uh, Danny Cook, when I feel full to overflowing with God's love. Yeah, no yeah buts, no exceptions. When do you feel willing to get close so you can immerse? Sometimes I feel willing when I get jarred out of my normal, to, to, to be totally honest. When, I, when something happens and I like almost don't want to do it, but then I, there's no other situation other than I have to do it, and I just find myself there, and then I get filled up. And I, uh, A few weeks ago, I went down to Brooklyn Center, and I went down to the, join the protesters just to be a, a clergy presence, to be a presence that uh, just names that, hey, pain is here. And I was a little nervous to go down there. I was a little scared to go down there, but I knew I had to. And when I did, I met some people and my heart was expanded. But that doesn't happen for me unless I get into situations where I am in close proximity, where I can hear the voices of suffering, where I can see the faces so that they become no longer... Um, a story on my feed, but an actual person with an actual story and an actual um, piece of redemptive history. Nico is answering the question, when I'm not hurting, it's really hard to enter into those spaces where you, when you're hurting. It's true. That's why it's so important to do our work. Bishop Curry says it simply. What does it look like to love like God loves, remember, love one another as I have loved you. <laughs> Easy to say, hard to do. Well, in answer to that question, Bishop Curry in his book says this, love creates room and space for others, for the other to simply be. I like that definition. Love creates room and space for others, for the other to be. Listen to this and maybe hear this familiar verse in a different way. Remember the old verse in John 14 where it says that, you know, hey, God is preparing a mansion for you in heaven. And then, of course, <laughs> us like Western Christians translated that so literally like, sweet, I'm going to get a mansion in heaven to live in. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> But we can play football. Oh, where's Dave Schlenk when we meet him? There he is. Newsboys. Oh, my goodness. But instead of that picture, which is kind of funny, what if it means that in God's kingdom, which exists here and now and then, space is created. Space to be. I will create room for you to be. Room around the table. 
room in my house. I will create. <laughs> oh, sorry, Michelle corrected me. It's audio adrenaline, not Newsblaze. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> John 14, 1 through 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. My translation, there is lots of room. If it were not so, what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you will be also. And in Middle Eastern culture, back then and even now, when, a, when um, there was the family dwelling and when uh, a new, when a son brought in a, a wife, and again, this is you know, ancient Near East, first century, they would create another uh, top floor. So they would just go up and up and up until people started dying off. And then, you know, you didn't have to go much more than three or four stories. Uh, but I, that's, that's the picture. I will continually expand my space so you can be with me, right? Jesus says, uh, if you want to follow in my commandments, you need to abide in me. It's all about proximity, proximity with God. God creates space for you to abide with God, with her, with him. And then if we love like God loves, we create space for others to simply be. We don't have to agree always, we won't. We don't have to understand always, we won't. But if we immerse ourselves in close proximity so that we can touch and see and hear, we will expand and we will grow and we will realize that there are more than six pieces to the pizza. There's more than one pizza. <laughs> so how might you create room to prepare a place for others this week? How might you create room to prepare a place for others this week? For the people that you live with? Anyone experiencing pandemic fatigue? <laughs> or you love the people you love and you live with, but ooh, it's maybe harder than it used to be. <laughs> What would it be like for you to create a little room and space for them? How about for those you disagree with on social media? Room and space. You know, sometimes that means snooze for 30 days. That's, that's room and space. Okay. Sometimes it means engaging, listening. I had such a great uh, back and forth this week. I posted a, a podcast I had done with this pastor who's um, um, pastor of the New City Church in Minneapolis, and one of, their, one of their focuses is to center queer voices of color. And someone online just asked, and it was such a great question, he goes, what does it mean, what does queer mean? You know, and I thought, we need to have more conversations like that, where we're not so embarrassed to ask a good question. Um, what would it look like for you to create room, to create a place for others this week, for people with black and brown skin. Be in proximity. In normal, ordinary ways, not anything weird. Bishop Curry is the descendant of slaves. Uh, he writes about a song that African-American slaves of America's antebellum South often sang. I wish I knew the tune. I don't. But here are the words. There's plenty good room. Plenty good room. Plenty good room in my Father's kingdom. Plenty good room. Plenty good room. Choose your seat and take it. 
What if that was our new rallying cry of love? Plenty of room. Plenty of room for you. Plenty of room for me. No scarcity, no fear. Or if fear is there, it's in the room, remember? Remember that old message a couple weeks ago? Fear can be in the room. Just can't decide how many pieces of pizza there are. Plenty good room. Plenty good room. So choose your seat and sit down. Amen? Oh, let's do it. Let's do it together. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any questions or would, or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.